The theme for the evening talk is the immediate and beyond. When we began the retreat together, there were the initial meditation instructions, and those instructions with the sitting posture consisted primarily of mindfulness of breathing and bringing the fullness of, of awareness as much as possible to each and every uh, in-breath and out-breath. And one of the purposes behind that is, of course, to centre and ground ourselves and to feel a, a, a degree, and hopefully a growing degree, of a harmony and well-being of body and mind, that there is a genuine sense of togetherness of body and mind, so that we don't feel so uh, cut off and isolated from that through our fantasies, daydreams, speculations, uh, views, memories, um, uh, futurizing, etc., etc. And then from the mindfulness of breathing, we then began uh, slowly and systematically, in fact, to expand our uh, field of our meditation. And that then went to the uh, physical, to the bodily life, and uh, initially to working with the pain that uh, arises. And Part of the purpose behind that, of course, is learning to stay steady and clear and to be equanimous uh, in the face of pain and therefore to contribute to expanding our pain horizons, sensing that our consciousness, that we can be conscious of pain, that we can attend directly to it and uh, in, in that acknowledge the and recognize pain, but also to be able to see and to experience outside of pain as well. That, in other words, other parts of the body at that time are not in pain, and pain is a localized uh, phenomena in a particular location or locations. And can we work with that and be steady and clear with that as much as possible? We expanded our field of awareness and mindfulness uh, further to acknowledge and recognize the, the body and to be aware of the body when sitting, to be aware of the body when walking, when standing, when reclining, so that mindfulness of the body uh, is being practiced throughout the, the, the flow and the rhythm uh, of the day. And that attention to breathing, that attention to, to body, also what we bring with the attention, that is with the mindfulness, is obviously also important as well. And part of that feature of what runs through the awareness or through the mindfulness is the capacity to see body as body. Therefore, to see it as bare elements, to see it as organic life, to see it as vibrations, sensations, uh, as of nature. So in that direct seeing, there is a very clear, noticeable and experienceable a sense of body as body, rather than this is me, this is myself, this is who I am. And so the perception through the mindfulness and awareness can help it to make it much more clear to awareness that the, the body is not me, not myself, not who I am. Yet, not in that perception and in that mindfulness and awareness, there is no withdrawal, there's no denial, there's no cutting off uh, or alienation at all. In fact, 
through not having the layers of projections upon the body and all the obsessing that goes on with it, I am short, tall, fat, thin, young, old, male, female, or whatever it might be, we actually experience, or the awareness that more precisely, experiences very directly body as body, vibrations as vibrations, sensations as sensations, elemental existence as elemental, there, and that directness and that con contact uh, with the body is helping us to see body as body and therefore reducing some of the clinging, the I-ness that goes around it, the possessiveness that goes around it, the identification with that goes around it, yet remaining true to connection with it and the mindfulness with the bare experience of body also helps in that way to be connected, to be respectful to, and the very mindfulness gives support to the body. Very mindfulness takes care with posture, takes care with exercise, takes care with diet, takes care with movement, takes care with not causing injury and harm to ourselves. So this ability to be directly connected with the body, and mindful and conscious of it, and bring conscious presence to it, and less control, fear, possessiveness holding, does allow us find for a more respectful way of relating to physical existence. We then expanded the field of awareness a step further, and in that, including uh, the sounds. Not only, of course, the sounds of the day, of you know, people moving or coughing or whatever in the hall, but uh, the sounds that may be uh, coming through, traffic or airplanes passing by, sounds from the nature, birds, wind, or whatever, whatever it might be. And because so often in life, what we hear can have quite an impact uh, on us, uh, whether it's coming from what is said to us, whether it's coming from various uh, sounds to us, pleasurable or un unpleasant, it isn't an easy task in life to really practice, to develop this capacity, as you heard in the uh, instructions, to just to listen, and just to listen in such a way that the self is actually out of the way. So that in that, it is just a very much a direct listening. When the self is in the way, of course, it will show itself as, oh, uh, this uh, sound is affecting me, this sound is disturbing my uh, meditation, uh, th 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 this is noisy and I uh, don't like it. So, in fact, it's not so much that we are, uh, that the sound is uh, 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 affecting uh, us, but more closer to the reality is, of course, uh, we are affecting the sound. We are not actually able to listen at that time, and we've put extra layers on it. Oh, it's noisy, it's affecting me, I don't like it, I don't want it, or whatever. And it isn't an easy task, but it's a practice, to actually stay steady with the listening, and just to listen. And that may reflect and show itself when the person enters the room or is sitting already. Some of you do. You come into the meditation hall earlier, you sit uh, later, and then others of us uh, come in later, uh, uh, etc. And at that time, the sounds may come to us. Can we feel clear, comfortable, steady in the presence of uh, all of that as a practice in the art and the skill of being able to listen? and to get the sense of the value of that, so that in other situations in our life where it's important for all of us to be able to listen, we've got a natural capacity 
a developed one to do that because we've actually learned and trained and practiced in our retreats, in our meditations, to be able to do it. And we know what the quality of that means and we know what the texture of that means of what listening is all about. We then expanded further the field of awareness, another very important area of human existence, and that's the field of thought. And in that, the training and the practice and uh, the discipline, as with the other areas, is to see it very clearly. And it's not trying to make the mind empty, it's not trying to get rid of all thought or negate thought or have no thought or whatever, but it is the capacity to see the thought clearly. And essentially, that means, in fact, seeing a thought as a thought, just as that, and not impregnating it with huge authority over our existence, in the way that maybe the thought may, as it were, come back to the self, and the thought is about the self. So the I arises, the thought arises, there's a meeting of the two, and in the meeting of the two, there's a tendency easily to believe and identify what the thought says about the self, what the thought, what the thinking is saying about the I, the me, and the my, instead of just seeing that that event itself is as impersonal as anything else. In other words, it's as a dependent arising circumstance called this I, me, my arising, and this is what I am thinking about me. These are my thoughts. And the I is not I, and the thoughts are not I, but there's a meeting of the two, and somehow or other we uh, believe in this painful entertainment. Or similarly, if the, uh, the thought, the thinking is arising, and the thinking is arising, and it rises about something other. And that other can arise in connection with, obviously, anything uh, whatsoever. So again, it's a mutually dependent arising circumstance and situation, can we see it as that? Instead of being infatuated in such a way as saying, oh, I am thinking about, rather seeing a stream of thoughts as a stream of thoughts, rather than seeing thinking about is thinking about, this is what not my mind is engaged in, and therefore making a possession and an ownership out of it, which creates another dynamic of pressure, but to see much more clearly and as well as possible that the awareness see clearly that in that awareness of that stream of thoughts is a stream of thoughts. Thinking is thinking. Sometimes, as some of you reported, it's, it, it is obsessive thinking. Sometimes it is alarming when, when uh, you look into the mind and you see how much thinking is going on, thinking, 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 going on. And that's all it was, it's all it is, and it's all it ever will be. Yet, so much is given to it, and we want to, just to be clear, this is just thinking about, and sometimes in that, appropriate steps have to be taken, keeping the eyes open. Some people don't want to keep their eyes open. They much rather have their eyes closed and, and have obsessive thinking and and then imagine they don't really want to be thinking. So, sometimes the eyes open is quite necessary. Sometimes the resolution and determination to be much more present with the moment is quite necessary. We expanded too, and with the emotional uh, life and the feelings uh, that are arising, a little step further and a step deeper in that matter, and to see 
feelings as, as, as feelings there. Or the Seeing them as feelings, as feelings, and thoughts, as thoughts, is a contribution to being well established and well connected them, to really know them, to really be close and intimate and aware of what is revealing itself, and to feel what is to be felt, and to stay steady with that as calmly and as clearly as we can. Now sometimes when people are new in the field of meditation with all of that exploration into things, you know, sometimes you sit down and you mention to us as teachers, oh, I sit down, I'm not sure what I should do. It should be with the body, it should be with the breath, look at the feelings or whatever. If there is some confusion, then it is helpful to have a kind of core meditation, such as the breathing uh, or the body, and get anchored with that, rather than jumping around from one meditation uh, uh, to, to, to the next. And the, all of them are very important meditations. They have enormous uh, value for human, uh, our lives, for uh, human lives. And actually it's the um, regularity and the commitment to the exploring this immediacy of things uh, in our life that we begin to see and understand within ourselves what's useful and how any of those meditations referred to at particular times can be an extraordinary wise and clear way of helping to deal with situations uh, that arise. And sometimes we do need to be with the breath. And, and that could be in a situation of uh, aggression or fear or, or anger or obsessing to cut back to the breath. Sometimes we need to be, learn to be with the body and see the body as body in health issues, in painful circumstances in our life. Similarly, with listening and, and observing of thoughts and the experience of the feeling and the emotional uh, life. Regularity of practice uh, uh, and more seasoning in every one of those areas will help us considerably to be a much more clear and wise and insightful human being about what works for us. And if I may say this, on that level, uh, I was gifts giving a retreat elsewhere uh, recently. Somebody said to me, "Oh, Christopher, what, what in terms of yourself and your uh, practice these days? What what would you find as your priorities?" <clears throat> and so, I said, "What I've noticed myself sometimes just need that little extra focus, that little bit of extra concentration uh, there, and the mindfulness of breathing continues." Uh, as it has done over the past 30 years, to just give that little extra edge when I, when I sometimes uh, need it, and I just make the mindfulness of breathing a rather focused, quiet, disciplined uh, meditation. Sometimes in the sitting meditation, there may be something occurring in the mind, and uh, some thoughts are being generated, and that may be what somebody just said to me, uh, or, or some other thoughts may ar uh, arise about something uh, else, and and what's necessary in that time, in that, and in those moments or periods, is to really give, watch, and see a thought as a thought, and really just be steady and to be clear with it. And at other times, it's just a more open, expansive uh, awareness, N no uh, object as such in the awareness. We'll speak to you about this, uh, and sometimes just to be clear, just to abide with the awareness and not have an object, etc., etc. One's own experience and one's own practice, one's own uh, inner development as a human being in that respect contributes to seeing what is important and valuable 
And that comes, like whatever other things in life, like riding a bicycle, and all those things that we learn, and the skills come, and then, ah, yes, I understand why breathing is important, why working with the body is important, why listening is, why looking into the uh, conceptual uh, framework that we create for existence, um, why the emotional life, etc., etc. So the, the Buddha, with his uh, great wisdom and uh, investigation into the human condition says frequently to us all of this needs uh, great is worthy of our attention worthy of our respect worthy of our uh, interest I'm using some of his words here and and it's for the real welfare of the human being in the exploration uh, of that we could say and it and this is a feature of all of this that the underlying intention there is to make a real contribution to what we need to see clearly. So in that respect it is meditation for insight. Sometimes very important things are arising during your day. Very important things you may hear, you may arise in your meditation, they may just come spontaneously or when you're outdoors as people are reporting um, in a small group sometimes just before going to sleep at night or even in, the, in a dream sometimes or in the morning or whatever important things do stand out and, some, and one knows it's not just an idea or a vague abstraction or whatever but in the very imminence of things something stands out and one knows it's important something it touches one in some uh, uh, way or other and sometimes when that happens Either there can be two kinds of responses which go on when something uh, has touched one. One is to kind of, oh well, that's just another experience, whatever it might be, and then to want to move on from it very, very quickly. So one doesn't really give that particular experience an opportunity to digest, an opportunity to absorb or to be uh, clear about. One wants to kind of move on from it. Or the other is to grasp onto the experience in some way or other, hold on to it, and then the mind comes in in relationship to the experience, and the outcome of that is to keep thinking, 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 thinking about it, constantly analysing, constantly diagnosing, constantly going uh, over and over. So one is we undermine the experience by moving on from something too quickly, we say, oh no, I've got to get back to the breath, I've got to get back to the body or to the listening, and don't give it a chance. Or the second is we grab it, and in the grabbing on, uh, of it, we, we build it up. So one we ignore, uh, or the other we begin to build it up into something um, very major through consistent thinking about it. And as always with these things, not an easy task, obviously, is can we find a balance? Can we find a balance? So any kind of experience which has gone on, and I mean the whole spectrum, including the difficult ones, when there is a difficulty in the experience, in the imminence of what's going on, there's often the wish, all too humanly, to want to move on from it very uh, quickly, and in a way to pass it by. One may have suddenly got very angry about something, for this example or one acted in a fearful way, one got, got afraid, or one wanted to uh, run away, or to be alone, or one, ju ju one just 
felt very dull or one felt very stuck or wasn't going anywhere. Different things that you report in the small groups. And then that may change through the various uh, circumstances, but it would be a pity if it changed and then there wasn't any kind of awareness um, with regard to that to see, well, in a situation which was difficult and the reactivity that went on with it, that it would appear that it wasn't handled wisely, we might say. That one didn't bring wisdom to the situation, one got caught up in it, or identified in it, or grasped onto it, or there was reactivity, whatever happens with us. And so sometimes it is important and indispensably necessary to be able to stop and to say, well, what is it, what would it be to handle this situation well. And that doesn't mean, you know, tons and tons of thinking about, but it is an opportunity for us, in the rather subtle environment that we are all in, just to be able to say, well, where, what shows the wisdom, as I'd asked the other day? What actually shows the wisdom in the situation? And that means that we're not just thinking, thinking about, we're actually bringing our attention to something which appeared as difficult. We're not willing to, not interested to keep justifying, and we're just trying to find the wisdom in the face of there. Similarly, in the important and valuable experiences as well, uh, uh, which, ta which, which takes place. And sometimes one notices, just in the, in the passage of the time and, and the days, in the imminence of things, that, to one's surprise, different qualities are actually coming out of one. And we notice as teachers, that can be reflected in the, some of the notes that you say, things that you report to us in the one-to-ones, in the small groups, and what's responding or coming out, 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 out of one is sometimes a lot of good insight. And that's being shared in the small groups and one-to-ones uh, in the inquiry, as we uh, uh, heard, heard today. And, or sometimes, in terms of heart life is coming out of one. And that heart life may show itself as gratitude, as appreciation, as connectedness, as uh, happiness to be here, as no wish nor desire to do anything nor be anyone anywhere uh, else. And the heart life is responding to the situation. And sometimes that reflecting and manifesting itself in more good spirit, shall we say, with humour, etc. So two things, would be, be not for uh, everybody, and of course it would be gross to say that, but two things for some, in different ways, begin to show themselves through the days. One is more sense of the heart there, and, and the other is the insight. Sometimes, with the former, the insight, something that you see for yourself, or something that you listen to from a small group, a teacher, or, or just a memory that comes to you, whatever, it may, in the moment, stand out quite well and quite clearly. And it is important, in the moment, of anything which is standing out for you, because you've felt a response, it's not intellectual, you feel a response, that's standing out well and, and clearly, just to let that abide. Just to be, not thinking about, but just to feel it, just to be with it. And at that time,
the method and the techniques do take a secondary place to that which has touched you. That which has touched you does matter. It matters a great deal. And to some degree, the methodology that we use, sitting, walking, method and technique, is a contribution to making clear that which is important for you, for me, for us, to be clear about. I say, listening to people, and we see pretty, you know, everybody during the retreat, that happens, in fact, for everybody. Things touch one. Sometimes it's difficult, yes, the unpleasant, yes. Sometimes it's the pleasant, yes. And that ability and the capacity to be really clear about that which touches. When that which touches us in the uh, um, immediacy of things is uh, uh, happening, and we, in the time, in the sense of, of that, we allow other things to fade away, that gets an opportunity to settle with us, and it gets the opportunity just to run a little bit more deeply. And we're actually bringing an awareness and a clarity to it. That awareness and a clarity to it, it may be, oh, fear arose, and as a result, um, I noticed my mind running. Um, uh, there was longing in me, and I noticed there was doubt. Uh, following on in its, in its trail. That being very, very clear about has the opportunity, therefore, to go deeper so that when that arises again, the fear, the longing and the doubt, or all the other chains, hopefully with it, that awareness will come in very immediately with it. And will be extraordinarily clear very, very early. So the tendency to identify with it, called the fear, the doubt, the longing, the anger, the agitation, the boredom, the doubt, whatever the state of mind is, the awareness comes in with it and it actually arrests it very, very early because one is learning, practicing that power of observation so that the awareness is there simultaneously. And therefore it's not a day later or hours later, oh my God, I feel da-da-da, but it's actually moving in uh, coexistingly arising uh, with it. And so even though sometimes in the very direct and immediate observation of what's going on, we may not be clear about what to do about it, we may feel um, uh, the difficulty of what's going on, but we shouldn't underestimate the extraordinary importance of bringing as much as we can a real interest to what we experience, fullness of consciousness to bear uh, on it, and even though it can be a struggle when it's difficult, to really be present for it. Sometimes to be present for it in such a way as though, as though it will never go away. As though one says, this is it. And therefore, could the capacity of that awareness Actually, could we accommodate that without moving away from it? And therefore, there's the attention to the very raw, bare experience of it. If we develop that capacity in uh, life uh, more and more, the object, which is called 
in this case the difficulty, the object, as you call the difficulty, the state of mind, whatever, it cannot last for any real length of time in the face of the light of that awareness. Because it's supported with an energy, it's supported with interest, it's supported with intention, with uh, uh, commitment. All of that are the conditions which keep that awareness uh, steady. And furthermore, we've trained and practiced ourselves to be able to see a state of mind as a state of mind. Therefore, the clinging factor is the self. The cling is the self's identification with. The cling is the self moving into the state of mind and thinking, this is what I am. And our awareness changes that whole way of looking. It sees a thought as a thought, a state of mind as a state of mind, a feeling as a feeling, and one is with it and clear with it. Similarly, when there's happiness and joy, beautiful things, sometimes the happiness and joy is hardly being recognized. And sometimes one asks a person, not sure about this retreat, I remember in 1992, or whatever. And so sometimes there's a feeling there's not much heart life is going on. Sometimes when this feels the absence of it inside, and we're not handling it very well, of course, the mind easily runs into the generality. We take the particular. I'm not feeling much in the way of feelings. I'm not feeling very happy. I'm feeling rather cold. I'm feeling rather stiff. I don't feel any sense of heart. And when that's hard to accept or acknowledge or whatever, the mind can't deal with the particular. It has to spill over. It's got nowhere else to go except on the rest of you. And in that, it goes from the particular to the, general, to the generality. Zombies. That's where it goes. Um, everybody's so miserable here. And I've never been in a, in a place like this before, etc. So from the particular, it... It goes to the generality, goes to the ge generality there, simply because sometimes we can't contain the particular, and therefore it moves uh, in that way. If, and it's a fiction, and the, and the part of the, the, the fiction is, yes, there are some people who are um, in that difficult space in which um, neither pleasant nor um, um, unpleasant and sometimes kind of cut off from feeling life. Yes, there will be people in the retreat experiencing that. But there are also there will be people in the experience who are going through a lot of emotion. There are ex people in the experience of feeling a great deal of joy and, and happiness and absolutely love the atmosphere, love the Dharma, love being here and wouldn't want to be doing anything else and would stay for months if it was possible. So one's got a whole spectrum of people. But when the mind is fixed in that uh, form, the generality comes with it because of the difficulty in dealing with the particular. This last sentence I make, by the way, has in extraordinary social and political and economic considerations there. It, the mind going from particular and to a gross generality. And we know what this planet has done with that. So this attendant to the uh, particular, sometimes the joy and the happiness begins to arise. And when that joy and happiness uh, begins to arise, and we 
feel it, one of the important things, as the person uh, in the inquiry today was pointing out, that when we feel joy and happiness, one of the features of joy and happiness is the end of wanting. So, we're feeling happy, we're feeling joy, we're feeling content, we're feeling at peace uh, with life, and, and from within, we, we can say may arise as a thought, or as an insight, or as an awareness, or as an apprehension in some way. When we experience that, we can say, goodness me, there is nothing that I want from this world. I'm happy. There's happiness there, there's contentment there, there's, there's, there's joy there, and, and, there's, and it would seem an aberration of one's existence to actually be wanting for something in the happiness. That the happiness itself is there. And sometimes we don't, we don't know where it's come from. We don't know how it arrived or whatever, but one feels the presence of it. Yet, when we have a problem, it's like the relationship's quite different. With a problem arising, why am I feeling like this? Where did this come from? What happened to me in my childhood? And why do these people treat me like this? So all sorts of views start arising, but in the quality of happiness of being, not superficial, deeper happiness, there is a natural contentment there, and it seems rather gross and crude to raise questions of why and how and what. It's just present. And the feeling of the presence of happiness and joy there, which isn't the result of pursuing and gaining and running after, but coming out of the being, is important, and its importance is such that once again, in the immediacy of things, one isn't looking or wanting or expecting or demanding anything from anybody. How could one? The cup is full. So one can know and feel that but the important, important thing in knowing and feel that is to know and feel that that happiness is, is in one's being. Not something outside that's come, it's actually there and present. In the presence of uh, happiness and the undemandingness of things, and that happiness, because of many factors, will refine itself, the Buddha has spoken of, a lot about this, will refine itself. And in the refinement that takes place, the deeper refinement of it, from happiness, he says, to joy, and from joy to a deeper inner peace, a deeper inner contentment. The mind is content, and it can feel its contentment. That contentment, when the, I'm not talking in perfect terms here, but that contentment, when it is present, means that there's an opportunity here in a way, to forget the mind. In a way, one's forgetting mind and body. Insofar as the, we look back and we say, when I look back, I was actually needing, appropriately, to work on mind and body. Looking at the mind and body, working with the breath, working with the body, giving attention to, to listening, sounds, thoughts, feelings, etc. But the, the, the sense of the being, the human being, feels settled, feels content, feels steady, one's not asking anything of the world, one's also not asking of anything of mind and body. It's just resting here and now. In that rest, uh, here and now, uh, and there's 
a steadiness uh, uh, with it, it may well be that with that steadiness one has no need to, and this is the important thing here, to make something an object. No need to move towards an object. No need to go towards anything. And there's a sense of that awareness and a certain abiding awareness with mind and body present with it. The sense of I, me and my is rather faint. Because the I, me and my isn't really doing anything which is what charges it up. So just mind and body, they're present, uh, awareness is present, and one is just steady with this sense of being. True human beingness in those moments. And they're very important uh, moments for a human being. In that awareness in which the object is not so primary, that awareness matters a great deal. And the Buddha says these important things here, and for those of you who love the, 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 these deeper features uh, of, of the Dharma, the teachings and the wisdom of the Buddha, it's, it's, the subtlety of it is lovely. He says, for those who know of that, that awareness, sati sampajanya, the Pali term, it is to be expected, this is his own words here, <clears throat> it is to be expected that such a one will at least know what temporary freedom, liberation, same thing, will at least know what temporary freedom or temporary liberation actually is. It is to be expected. What is indicated and implied by that is, sometimes in the sense of that being, with a, a very clear awareness in which one's life, called mind and body, is contained or held easily and comfortably, in that awareness which takes place, that awareness itself may, out of one's being, raise questions. One of the questions it raises, well, where do I go from here? And, easily and naturally, out of the inner life and out of the depth, it's not rather, not rather than superficial, the sense may come, perhaps, this awareness is the key, as it were, to something beyond, something transcendent, something ultimate. And there can be a sense of that, because as the world becomes more peaceful, because mind and body is peaceful, in that, and the awareness has expanded, there will be a sense, naturally, organically, to a receptivity which is bigger than self, that is, bigger than mind-body. So, the movement in the organic life, in the depth in it, says something other, something transcendent, something beyond, something greater than. But in the movement of the inner, that organic, this is, it's not easy to follow, there comes a gap. Sense of awareness, the sense of being, there's something beyond, and then there's a gap between what is and the beyond. That gap, for some people, creates the longing. It can be even with contentment of being, even with being undemanding upon this, upon this uh, world and all that goes with it. There still can be, organically here, I'm not talking about mind so easy here, but deeper down there can be a longing and the longing has a gap. I see the limitation of this world, I sense there is something other, something beyond, 
And I know what sense of what this awareness is. This world cannot be fulfilling because it's subject to birth and death. Sense something other than I'm, 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 and yet what I know is the awareness. The gap becomes problematic because the organic movement will feed the longing. What the awareness doesn't understand, because it only reveals to the object, what the awareness doesn't understand is that there is no gap. But the awareness itself, important as it is, can never be of itself completely fulfilling. One can be very clear this is mind, this is body, this is me, this, sorry, this is not me, this is not myself, this is just nature arising in there. Itself won't be fulfilling unless in that awareness, not beyond it, something is more, shall we say, subtle, to use the Buddha's word here, or refined, which reveals something which is genuinely liberating. That discovery, that making real, called realization, reveals something which is liberating. And the liberating element of that puts the awareness with mind and body into a context. We're touching upon this in the inquiry today. It puts it all, awareness and mind and body, into a certain kind of context when the awareness is revealed in its truest nature. Therefore, not only revealing, which is what awareness does, it reveals, but what it ultimately reveals. What it ultimately reveals. And that liberation is what one, I was calling this afternoon with uh, one inquirer, is calling that, that liberation I was called, this is where a difficulty can arise, and uh, Sally was uh, pointing this out to me at uh, tea time today. That was called full awakening. Meaning, in that respect, that the liberation, the true emancipation, the freedom of the human being is full and complete insofar there's no partial liberation or partial awakening or partial freedom. It is full and complete. But the misunderstanding, that this is what was being pointed out, easily occurs with regard to this, is that sometimes it get, one gets the idea of there's a full awakening in that respect, there can't be any arising of any difficulty out of the mind-body system, out of the mind-body process. So it's probably more, it is in fact I think more wise and skillful in that respect to, not easy to follow again I appreciate, to drop the language of full there because of all the difficulty that arise, but nevertheless to acknowledge there is uh, an awakened life and that awakening is truly freeing. It accommodates the field of birth and death and all that goes on in between. And also that awakening is such that it has and it makes allowances, and this is a core piece of the teaching, for events in mind and body which are unwelcome unwanted, difficult, and need attending to. So it's not a belief, it's not a awakening, it's not I make myself perfect, then I am receptive, and then I am enlightened. But there is an awakening which is full of 
liberating awakening uh, there. Yet, however, at times, out of the mind-body, there is issues which are arising. And as the teachings point out, because of that awareness and the freedom that it communicates in its truest nature, there's all the energy and the interest to work with it. There's all the en energy and the interest and the intention and commitment to work with unrest and dissatisfaction and agitation and what is coming out of the mind because one's got enough understanding, or there is enough understanding, more precisely, that it's not me, it's not myself, it's not what's going on, but naturally the organic life wants to attend to it. In the same way, that organic life, if we cut ourselves or wound ourselves or, or whatever, it takes some care, but the very organism works to make things better. It's the natural process that it works to, to do it. And that same kind of response comes with us when there is awareness there, so there's an abiding freedom, clear freedom which is all accommodating. When issues unattended to or need attending to arise, the attention goes straight there to work with it. To do as much as one can, inwardly, to attend to that which needs attending to. So it, it's, to some degree, it's a process, like I just described to you, and yet correspondingly and equally, we can say, for a truly liberated life, it's something very, very immediate, very, very close, and very, very much at, at hand. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings live a free life. May all beings know the joy and exploration out of that freedom. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.